another Pro Video Coalition podcast. I'm uh, your host, Scott Simmons. And today we are talking with a couple of small uh, Apple developers because what I wanted to do was take a little bit of a chat about this whole transition to um, Apple Silicon. And I think we can't call it like iPhone chip or whatever because I'm sure that's we'll probably get somebody in big trouble. So we'll call it Apple Silicon. So I have on the uh, other in the line here with me, I have Mr. Jim Tierney, uh, known him for years from Digital Anarchy. Jim, how are you doing? Good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, it should be a, uh, a fun chat here. And also I have Mike uh, Woodworth from Divergent Media. Mike, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I am doing very, very well. So Divergent Media, uh, in case someone doesn't know, is uh, Edit Ready, Scopebox, uh, the old favorite life-saving clip wrap from uh, back in the day. I'd say back in the day, it's not used as much as it used to be, but it used to be used quite a lot. And then, of course, Digital Anarchy is uh, lots of good, cool plugins for After Effects and Premiere and uh, the, the uh, transcriptive tool and transcriptive.com website. So both these uh, gentlemen have been developing for Macs for a number of years. Jim, how long have you guys been developing at Digital Anarchy? Uh, it's like 20 years at this point. 20 years? Yeah, and then I was with uh, Meta Tools and Atomic Power for five years before that. So. Oh yeah, oh man, that's a whole other like <laughs> that's, that's, a whole it's other like a whole other life. It's a lifetime ago, right there. Yeah, so yeah, I've been doing plugins for way too long. What was Digital Anarchy's first, very first thing? Uh, we did Text Anarchy, which is the kind of it was basically a particle system for text. I mean the wait what? The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was a particle system. What? What's a particle system for text? Well, you just for generating large amounts of like random text. So I mean, the one one thing that it did was oh. the matrix matrix look, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could also, I mean, it's really a motion graphics tool where you it was just made it easy to generate lines and lines of like text, whether it was randomly generated, whether it was stuff you inputted into it. Um, yeah, so it was, oh, it was kind fun. of a All right. cool plug-in set for the time, yeah. Who knew? Mike, what was uh, Diversion's first product? Um, well, the first product was going to be called Llamalog. It was a, a digital asset management tool that we rolled into NAB the same year that um, Final Cut Server was announced. And so huh. <laughs> that one never shipped. But the next year, we came out with Scopebox which was our uh, software scope tool. Interesting. And well, look what happened to Final Cut Server. Do you wish now that you would have gone full steam ahead with Llamalog? Yeah, nothing like riding it out for 10 years. Yeah, well, you know, I guess there's that. I think one of my one of my kids' favorite books has got a llama in it. Llama, llama, um, what, what are the, what's the llama books? Those are really good. Anyway, I, di yeah. I digress. Um, all right, so here yeah, we are. Don't with... read children's. My cats don't read books. So. They will. They, they'd be smart cats <laughs> if they did. All right, let's go back in time. We're running blue and white Macintosh G3s or G4s, and then Apple says, hey, we're going to stop supporting uh, the power PC chip that I think they even helped design back in the day. We're going to move to Intel. Jim, you were, you were there for that big transition. I think, Mike, you, uh, you guys were just kind of coming online back in those days. So oh. what was the transition like from PowerPC to Intel for a small developer, Jim? And I'm guessing the reason I say small developer is I assume if you're Adobe or Avid or Microsoft, it's pretty simple because you just throw a bunch of engineers at it. But a small de developer, developer, a small company that's just got a, one or two or maybe 10 people, what, what was that like? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't really change regardless of the size of the developer. I mean, you know, in our case, you know, if you look at our plugins, you know, yes, we're a small developer, but if you look at Adobe, you know, they've got, you know, a complete, you know, multiple massive applications. And so it's really not easy for anybody. Um, and the kind of the, the annoying thing that Apple said then, and then they said now is that, oh yeah, it's gonna be easy. You just need to recompile, it'll take, I mean, at least this time around, they said it'll take a couple days. You know, back in 2005 or whatever it was, they were like, well, Mathematica 5 compiled in two hours. It'll be super easy to port everything. And of course that was you know, not true at all. Okay, well, Mike, uh, what, uh, now Mike, at, at the Intel transition, tell me where you guys were in stage of development of, uh, of, your, of your products and your so life. So Scopebox, we had, we shipped in 2007, which was basically right after Apple finished the transition. Um, but because most of our users were using a standalone machine to run the application, we found that I would all say 80% of the machines people were installing on were PowerPCs. So we spent a lot of time actually writing a PowerPC version of the app prior to launching, just because you know most of these facilities that were trying to to spec out scopes had a closet full of PowerPC cheese graters that mm -hmm. they were porting off of. And so for a long time, you know, we were principally PowerPC software even though we shipped after Apple had transitioned off of them. Okay. So yeah. how long, Jim, did you guys, did it take you to get your stuff, everything that you had going at the Intel transition, the day you started working on it to the day you were able to ship the products confidently and say, hey, they're, they're ready for this trans transition? More than two hours, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's months of work. Uh, even for, you know, for a small team and for even just the, you know, not super complex plugins uh, that we had. I mean, at that time, I think we had probably, I don't know, a few dozen plugins. So, um, you know, it, it took a good chunk of, you know, I would say probably half a year to get everything ported over. Um, you know, some things are easier than others, but uh, but, you know, it was a lot of work. Did uh, so one thing we're seeing now with this transition to the Apple Silicon is they are providing hardware that now I was actually looking at the website. It says you can become a uh, developer for like the program is like 500 bucks and they'll ship you a, a Mac mini that you have to give back at the end of the end of the thing. Did they do something similar when you went when uh, went to Intel? Yeah, so they uh, yeah, they did the same thing. They shipped a cheese grater with a generic, you know, Intel motherboard into it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, as I mentioned, uh, fun fact, we still have that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if I get a legal notice from Apple. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we want that back. Um, but yeah, no, you were supposed to send them back and you, you were allowed to trade them in. And, uh, I, I kind of missed the memo on that. And so at some point they just sent out a demand notice saying, ship this back to us. Um, and I was like, no, we paid for it, unless you're going to give us our money back. Oh. So, uh, so yeah, so we uh, we never sent so, back, and that's currently uh, you know kind of a Linux server box that we're using. <laughs> you can so put that they on had eBay. offered they had offered if you sent it back to send out a 
like I think everyone got a Mac Mini or their choice of one no, Intel machine. But they didn't offer you that when they no, when they, they, they were did. making I mean, but I, they, you you were allowed to send it back for an iMac, but there was a limited time for that. Uh, you, had, you had to send it back within this window, and I just completely didn't realize that we needed to send it back. Uh, so then at some point they're like, well, you haven't sent this back. So yeah, now you need to send it back to us. Oh, well, we, I won't, I won't, I won't tell if, uh, if, uh, if my, if you won't tell my lips are sealed. So back in that transition time, did, and I, and I assume from what I've, a couple of things I've read says it, that this should be an easy transition because Apple has done it before going to uh going to Intel the Intel they would provide this hardware they provide I'm sure lots of uh, software packages you know where they're not things designed to just kind of quote unquote magically well there's no quote unquote I just put the quotes in there myself to magically um take your code and recompile it for another chip it's I mean it seems so simple to hear them describe it why why is it not that simple and Jim, you're you're a good one on that because you were there more for the Intel. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's complex, right? Because I mean, Ian, and even like at the time, we were we've always developed Windows and Mac, so you know we had Intel code. Um, but everybody, and so you know, in some sense, uh, you know, you have some code that already works, but you know, it's a whole new operating system. So even though the chip is the same, you know, that doesn't really it doesn't really matter what chip is underneath. It's all about how do you interface with the operating system? You know, how do you operate with the graphic subsystems, you know, the GPU? Um, you know, and that's going to be one of the headaches for, you know, this transition is, you know, for the graphics plugins, you know, they're, they're pretty complex beasts, you know, trying to push all these pixels around. And, um, you know, we're fully GPU optimized. And, um, but, you know, you also have to, have a fallback, you know, if the GPU fails or it's not, you know, if you're trying to push 8K, you know, you know using Flickr free with 8K frames, you're trying to load 20 frames onto the 28K frames onto the GPU and that's not going to work. So you have to have a CPU fallback. So you have to write a CPU version of it. Um, and with ARM, that's, that's just totally different. And, um, you know, it's not like we have iOS versions of this stuff. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty complex uh, process actually. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for a lot of developers, this will be a fairly easy transition. I think it may have even been an easy transition for them in the Intel timeframe. But, you know, there are a few things that are specific to video development, well, and a few other areas, too, that just sort of exacerbate the problems. Um, I mean, one of the big things that they did with the transition to Intel was this technology called Rosetta which allowed you to run your app in, you know, uh, transcompile, which, um, which, you know, was a great technology. It worked. You had some slowdown from it. The problem is if you're like Jim and you're writing plugins, you don't get to decide which, uh, which format the, the host app is running in. So if, you know, if the user is running an Intel version of Premiere, your plugin has to be running in Intel. But, well, you know, people writing apps that you just double click, you know, they have a little bit more fudge room. They can, you know, yeah. they can not ship on day one. 
Yeah, that, that was one actually question I had, and I'll, I'll jump back to it. I want to ask you one other thing, and then I think we'll be done sort of the Intel transition, Mike. Back when you guys were getting getting started, you know, obviously when you decided, hey, we're going to write um, software for the film and video uh, space, you probably didn't have any idea that Apple was going from PowerPC to Intel when you made that decision, did you? Not when we originally jumped into the into development, but I think by the time we were seriously considering shipping Scopebox, we had, um, you know, we knew that was going to happen. Okay. We didn't know, I think, I mean, our original plan was to ship Intel only. It wasn't until we started talking to customers that we were like, oh, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to do the extra work here. Well, I think what I was going to ask is when you heard that and you knew, okay, um, you know, we got to do for Intel, you know, I was going to ask, did it, like, you know, frighten you or is it like, all right, you know what, this, this is going to be more pain than it's worth. I guess same question for you, Jim, like, you know, what was the, when you heard it was, the change was hap was going to happen, did, you know, is it like, holy, holy crap, or was it like, ah, it'll be okay. And same with what, now that we're going to, you know, the new chips, is it the same sort of feeling? Are you like, you know what, we'll be fine. Or is there just like, oh crap, you know, we got to buckle down and it's going to be, it's going to be a huge pain. Like, what's the feeling? Uh, you know, on our end, you know, the way we felt about it then and feel about now is, you know, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, we would rather not do it. Because, I mean, it's, you know, you're talking about probably months of development, which would be better spent, uh, you know, developing new products or new features or something. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know what, what ends up happening, though, is you just roll that into an upgrade and, mm. you know, and usually pay for it. Yeah, the people I'm, you know, I feel bad for is, you know, everyone who's shipping through the, app, the Mac App Store, you know, there's no way to charge for an upgrade. They're expected to do all of this development, you know, for nothing, oh, in the hopes that there are going to be a bunch more Mac users soon. I mean, it's... Yeah, the whole, the whole Mac App Store terrifies me that they are going to try and push to, like, Mac App Store-only development. Um, you know, because that's just not a workable business model for us. Yeah. I mean, we tried, we shipped Clipper app both direct and in the app store. And, you know, we found, you know, we eventually pulled it because it wasn't worth the trouble. Yeah. Did edit ready and or scope box ever hit the Mac app store? No, we never shipped either of them. So I've seen every now and then you'll get an, and this happens on iOS as well. Cause I, I mean, you can't charge for upgrades on iOS either, I don't think, where you'll have, you know, Scott's great coloring tool, and then there'll be Scott's new great coloring tool, which will be a totally separate app. It's the right. same thing, but it is a new version. They'll just sort of charge for the, for the app again, which I, I guess it makes sense because you're right. I think someone has to pay for that development of the new product, but the, the user sometimes is like, well, that's, you're screwing me over there. Um, so that's probably a tough thing to convince the buyer that it's worth. I paid the dollar ninety nine for this. I should get <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that's happening with this ARM transition is they're going to start allowing, or all of the iOS apps are going to work on your Mac natively. And so, what does that do to you know people's expectations for pricing? Well, you know what? I never have really really thought about that because you're right. The the iOS store did put a new sort of thing in people's heads about paying for paying for software, which was kind of like paying for music. It's like I don't 
need to pay for it anymore. When I do, it better be, it better be cheap. I mean, do you think that, do you think the film and video space suffers from that? Or do people in this, in this profession kind of realize like, yeah, software costs money and we got to buy it. I mean, we've been okay because we're able to make that argument to our customers, but that's one of those things that you can do when you have a direct relationship with your customer. Mm -hmm. So as long as we're not in the, you know, one of the reasons why we gave up on the Mac app store is because we lost that connection. And so, you know, it was just, I searched for transcoding tools and I found, you know, all these really cheap ones in this other one, you know, and so no one, you know, they either knew about us already and bought through there for the convenience in which case, you know, the app store was doing nothing for us mm -hmm. as far as, you know, a marketing channel or, um, or they, you know, they were finding something cheaper. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, one of the nice things about dealing with professionals that are using the software to make money is that it becomes a much easier proposition to say, Hey, this is a valuable tool to you. You know, you're going to be able to save time or charge you know, have another service or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we've stuck with professional, you know, services as opposed to trying to, you know, we, we did an iOS app for beauty box at one point, uh, spent a whole ton of money on it and it was a complete disaster. <laughs> hmm. I don't think I even remember that. I'm sure, I'm sure I knew about it at the time, but yeah, we, we did it, but you know, it's just, it's so hard to get people to pay 99 cents or whether, you know, whatever you're charging for the iOS apps. And it just, you know, consumers are, they don't want to pay anything and they have higher expectations for support and stuff like that. So, um, we love our professional customers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, um, that, and, and they love you and they love you too. Um, okay. So here we are with, uh, knowing that you have to move to, um, Apple Silicon. So to hear Apple talk about it, the, the pain of the development, the extra hours it's going to take the time you've got to make a new, um, a new version and not make new features is going to be worth it because fill in the blank. Why, what's going to be so great about the chip that runs my iPad running on my Mac? Anybody, anybody? I mean, so they've basically made the same argument with each of these transitions, which was, you know, we keep getting let down by these hardware vendors, you know, for a long time, they, you know, they spent years talking about how much better PowerPC was than Intel, even though the clock rates weren't as high. And even though, you know, they had all, they had this entire marketing pitch about how it was a better technology and it was going to win in the end. And that just didn't pan out. And it was because they, you know, they couldn't make Motorola care that much about, you know, 25%, 30% of their market. Um, and I think they're in the same position with Intel, where, you know, Intel can't ship a chip every year that is markedly better in the way that Apple's been able to do year over year with, uh, you know, with the, the A series. Why, why is that though? They, I mean, there's no bigger chip. I mean, it used to not be bigger chip people than, uh, than, than Intel. I mean, what's, have they reached think, the, the right? theoretical limit of, of the technology? I don't, I mean, they've, they've run into issues with power. Um, you know, their chip design is not as, um, performant per watt and they've done a lot, a lot of, um, 
engineering to try to solve that. And some of those things aren't panning out as quickly as they had hoped. You know, they have to build whole new factories to try to lower their, you know, their their budget per watt essentially. And it's, you know, it, it it's arm started from a different place that seems to be working better for the new model. I mean, I don't think it's going to matter for the, you know, the heavy metal server rack mounted under your desk kind of thing that can be plugged into the wall as much, but for laptops, I mean, Apple has been continually let down by Intel's mm-hmm. roadmap for laptops. Well, I mean, I also think that, you know, now that Apple's doing their own chips for, you know, the iPhones and they've got that whole division for creating chips, um, you know, regardless of whether, you know, the A series is that much better than whatever Intel has, um, you know, they, you know, Apple has their own chip development, you know, division. So, you know, it probably makes sense there as, and, you know, we'll see if they're actually that much better. Um, yeah. Well, it seems like they have to overcome what my first thought was when I saw this was going to happen is that, okay, I, you know, transcode video, I you know, play back 4k, I mean, working with video is hard. It takes a lot of computer stuff to make it happen and the first thing i you know thought was oh the 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 chip in my phone okay maybe my ipad is now going to run all this video it just you know i just bought an imac pro a couple of years ago because it had some other kind of intel chip that didn't come in the regular imac so it must be better because it's got a different chip and it's pro and now they're going to you know use this chip that's just in a phone at first it just seems like how can that be faster and better. I mean, I guess it is, or they wouldn't be, be doing it. Or is, is there, do they have a secret version of this iPad chip in the lab that they don't use in the iPads because they need bigger hardware for it? I don't, I don't know. There's no question there, just a general statement. Well, there's two different things. I mean, one, um, there's no reason to assume that they care that you know their their largest market share is not whether or not you can encode 4K video. I mean, I think you what? know in their list of in their list of priorities, I would say battery life of their laptops is probably higher than you know playback but, video performance. But two, but, but, but Final Cut 10. Well, sure. <laughs> I don't but, know what that means. But no, but I mean the second thing is if you have a modern MacBook, you're not using the Intel chip to do any of that anymore. They have shipped custom silicone in the T2 chip, which does all of their video decomp. Well, I've heard about this. Yeah, is that the QuickSync? There's QuickSync. No, Intel's QuickSync is their built-in hardware decoder. But Apple doesn't like, I mean, Apple doesn't consider it fast enough. And so in their little chip they have for the security enclave, they just added a bunch of HEVC decode cores as you know almost as an afterthought and they switched over using those so they're doing their you know at least their HEVC and H264 decomp is on you know it's already on Apple hmm. hardware and that's you know I think that's a big change in the sort of mindset of chip design you know people used to think you know we make a a universal machine that can do anything and we just make it faster and faster. And as long as we're doing that, there's no, you know, 
you just you ship a you ship a blank slate and you write software to configure it for your use. But when when pe when people made the transition to battery powered devices, you know, just it it didn't work. You know, the mm. performance per watt wasn't there, and so everyone started making custom silicone to do these things. And you know, that's a much more efficient way to do things. And you look at, you know, in the keynote, they had the, they put up a slide about what you were going to get in the, in the new Apple Silicon chip. And, you know, it was designed like a bunch of chips stuck together and each one of the chips did something different. And that's essentially what their SOCs are. You know, if you need, you're what's running that, so what is SOC? silicone on chip, I think. Okay. I don't actually know. Um, that makes one of those acronyms that's taken over. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know either. I, I know the acronym, but <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, like if you're using FileVault on one of these computers, you're not going to use your chip to encode or to um, encrypt and decrypt your hard drive. That's going to be, you know, a custom piece of silicone on the chip. If you're doing an MD5 hash, that's probably going to happen in their secure enclave. If you're doing video compression or decompression, that's going to happen in a video subunit. If you're doing, you know, they've got ones for all of this neural engine stuff. The the machine learning is all done separately. Hmm. And so, you know, the the ARM chip at the center of it may be slower than what you're used to with Intel, but if if that's only running, you know, 60% of your actual apps functionality, it might you know, it might pan out to be a win in the end. So perhaps there's reason to be optimistic that really this is going to be a good, a good transition in the end. I mean, if nothing else, Apple can't hide behind anything anymore, right? Yeah. Well, like it's not, they can't, you know, do that sort of back channel explaining where they say, you know, where they say publicly, like, these are the greatest Macs we've ever shipped. And then behind the scenes are like, well, they're not that much better than it's not our fault as Intel's. You know, going forward, they either deliver compelling new Macs every year or they don't, but yeah. it's, it's not going to be anyone else's fault anymore. Well, they obviously want to make, you know, better and better and faster. I mean, why make a new machine if it's not better and faster? I mean, why do you update your software to make it, you know, better and faster? So I, it seems that to make the jump, they had to have seen it, it, it's it's not probably just a pride thing. Like we can do it on our own chips and, you know, la-di-da. Look what we did. It's more. This is the only way we can make it noticeably better and faster into you know the near the near future. I mean, I would. I hope at least that's that's one of the one of the uh, one of the one of the main reasons there. Um, well, I mean, it does let them kind of customize. You know, like Mike was saying. I mean, it lets them make it specifically for what they need. Right. You know, I mean, Intel's probably not going to do a whole lot for them because they you know they make up a probably trivial amount of Intel's market. I think I read somewhere it's like 20% of their market, so not enough. Enough that they're going to be mad they're gone, but not enough to really steer them. Yeah. Well, it seems to me it's a it's a uh, like a definite sort of slap against Intel in that okay, you know what? You can't do what we need we need to do, so screw it. We're going we're leaving and going somewhere do our own thing. You know, what I mean, Intel's selling a lot of computers out there, but I don't know. I mean, maybe perhaps they're 
Are their days numbered? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, my, Microsoft is still Intel only. They've tried shipping an ARM device, and you know they didn't get the buy-in they needed. I don't even think I. I think I read that Office was not ported for the Surface on ARM, but it's been announced that it's ported for Apple now. Yeah, I think <laughs> so that gives you an they idea. Like, yeah. And, but but you know my understanding is that when when Microsoft shipped Windows for ARM, they did not release Office hmm. during the same transition. So you know if you're Dell, you're going to be buying Intel. There's no yeah. other option. That's true. Um, and so I don't think Intel's going to disappear overnight. But you know ARM is making inroads that you need. You know you can buy AWS instances now from uh, from Amazon where you run ARM in the cloud. You know, it's, they're definitely not the only game in town at this point. So let's talk a bit about your guys, your company's transition to what will be the new Apple Silicon. So what, I was just sort of researching a little bit before we chatted here about, um, I guess you have to get into this developer program if you want to develop for the new Silicon. Am I right? Like you got to pay the 500 bucks to get the, to get this kit or can you do it another way? No, well, I mean, I, you don't. You, the, the kit is something separate. Um, the developer program, you you know, if you develop for Mac, you have to be in that regardless of, you know, you've always had to do that. Okay. So you know, we're we've been you know Mac developer forever, right? Uh, the kit, and Mike, you can correct me if if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, that's something you have to buy separately and didn't really have anything to do with, you know, the developer program per se. Right. So everyone now can download a copy of Xcode that will compile for ARM. Mm -hmm. And Xcode and if, is the is software you write. Yeah. It's the software you write software with. Yeah. It's their tool chain for developing Mac apps and iOS apps and watch apps and Apple TV apps. Okay. So wait, what is, then what is Swift? Swift is, a, is one of the languages you can write your application in. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and so, but do you anyone, write? Do you write? I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Do you write Swift right. in Xcode? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Well, you you use Xcode to turn your Swift into a Mac application. Okay, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. And so, if you're willing to wait until Apple ships the first devices to test it, there's no. You do not need to be in the developer. I don't even know what they call it. The um, Quick start. Universal App Quick Start program. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, you know the big the big thing that that buys you is they've hacked. You know they'll they'll send you the DTK, the developer I don't know, transition kit, um, which is you know it's an iPad running inside a Mac Mini. Okay. For you know is the simplest way to describe it. Is um, that is that for the five hundred dollars that? Comes... Yeah, that's what the that's presumably. I mean, I think. You know, you get access to some forums and a couple of support tickets and stuff, but that that Mac that you can test your software on is what you know what you're really getting for that price. So, so do either of you have one of those new Mac Minis running uh, the Bionic chip, or is that a secret that you can't say? I think I can say I have one. Oh, I don't know. I hope I can say I have one. What's the serial <laughs> we, number? We haven't got one. We're we're probably just going to wait for them to actually ship regular machines before we start porting. 
I guess the early adopters who want to have their apps ready the day that uh, um, an Apple Silicon Mac ships are the ones digging in right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, our thinking behind it is, um, and I we may be wrong about this, but the fact that they're, the machine they sent out is in the Mac Mini form factor mm-hmm. um, makes a, you know, our hope is that they plan to, you know, at least if not in the first wave, you know, I'm, I'm, I assume that the first Macs they're going to ship are going to be laptops um, when they start releasing production devices. My hope is that, you know, at the same time or shortly after they're shipping new Mac minis. Um, and, you know, we've, the majority of our customers who buy Scopebox are buying a Mac mini just to run it. And the Intel integrated GPUs are not good. Um, they're, they're pretty slow and they definitely hamstring, uh, you know, we're hamstrung by that. Um, and so our hope is that, you know, we can actually eke more graphics performance out of whatever this new mini is going to be. And so we want to be ready as soon as we can. Well, I guess I assume that since the mini is a very small form factor, it's easy to, to shove a new chip in it and ship it to people. But with Jim saying mm-hmm. that it used to be a cheese grater that on the Intel transition, I guess, you know, the, the physical packaging of this transition machine is, they don't really give a crap about that if they can. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, it no. seems like a good fit for the mini because, you know, the, the big things that Apple gets out of this switch to arm is much lower bill of materials. I mean, these chips are going to cost them substantially less than Intel chips. Oh, so they'll lower uh, their prices. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other big one is, um, the thermal profile of them. So a chip that uses less power produces less heat. And so on any of their machines that they can't throw heat sinks at the problem, like the mini, like the iMac, like the laptops. Mm-hmm. And then your laptop you know, gets hot, man. And my 16, it just cooks when you're right. doing certain stuff. And so the advantage of this is they can ship a thing. Maybe it's not any faster, but, you know, it never has to thermal throttle. It never has, you know, they can run it at a higher clock rate. They can put in a larger chip that has, you know, more functionality because, you know, the performance per watt, you know, if you assume, you know, I most likely they're going to want to lower their overall wattage in this transition so that they can say like, we made the switch to Apple Silicon and what it bought us was, you know, 24 hour battery life or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, or at least 20% or 40% more than what they're shipping now. Yeah. But if beyond that, they still have wattage left to throw at extra performance. I, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't. So you, uh, Divergent Media is making standalone applications. Uh, Digital Anarchy is making a lot of more plugins for for um, Adobe products and stuff. What's what is the difference in the workload of porting stuff over? Is is it harder? I mean, Jim, we've talked before about transcriptive is not it's not written in um, like HTML five like some Premiere panels are. It's like its own hard coded application within the premier plugin architecture. So what, um, yeah, I mean, most of the transcriptive actually is HTML five and JavaScript and, um, all that. I mean, there's, there is, uh, a little bit of C plus uh, code that okay. provides kind of some backend to it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but certainly the front end of the panel is just you know, JavaScript because that's what the panel you know, requires. Um, you know, so that I don't think is going to be really all that hard to port over. Uh, you know, it's, it actually should transcriptive should actually be fairly simple, uh, relatively. You know, for us, it's really the you know the the graphics plugins that uh, become tricky for us. And you know, on, our thinking is probably there's not going to be a ton of professional customers immediately buying the first wave of things. Oh, that's a good thought. Um, you know that. It's going to take a little bit of time for people to budget that stuff and you know make that transition. We'll see if you know how many apps are actually ready to go. You know, is Resolve going to be ready to go at day one? Is Premiere going to be ready to go at day one? Um, Premiere better be since Adobe was up there showing Photoshop. You can assume <laughs> they've got all the everything in house cranking. Maybe, but you know it's it's a lot of work. You know, and so it's 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 not a super easy. I think Photoshop is probably easier than Premiere because of you know, like Mike was talking about, just processing video. Hmm. Um, it's just more resource heavy. Um, well, since you guys have plugins that run inside of other products, you know, a Premiere, After Effects, is is it a whole different? And I don't you don't have to get into like the nuances of how you're doing it specifically, but like. How are you doing it? How it seems like that'd be way different than what Mike has to do with the app you just double click in the Mac Binder. You've got a whole other world of stuff to to deal with, and we all know that <clears throat> Adobe's uh, plugin architecture is maybe not as good as it could be. Maybe I've heard uh, that before. Well, um, I mean, actually, the plugin SDK is is great uh, for using for pushing the pixels around. Uh, the panel API is, uh, you know relatively newer, so mm -hmm. it's uh, a little bit more problematic than the uh, After Effects plugin API, which has been around, you know, okay. forever. Um, so, you know, I mean, in some ways plugins are easier, in some ways they're they're harder because you're relying on, you know, mainly because you're relying on the, on the host app, right? So uh, in a lot of ways, they do a lot of heavy lifting for you, uh, but you also have to figure out, you have to work within that environment. So it's, um, that can be trickier, you know, like GPU management's more difficult because Premiere's trying to use the GPU, other plugins are trying to use the mm, GPU, okay. you're trying to use the GPU. Um, and, you know, you have to be reliant to some degree on Premiere to like kind of manage that. And until recently there was management going on. So it was really easy for plugins just to run over each other trying to use the GPU. Um, Jim, are you have you done the port to metal for everything? We haven't. So I mean, that's that's something we're working on right now. So I mean, that's part of the reason that we're not immediately going to ARM because one, we have to do the metal port first. Um, so once that's done, uh, that's when we're going to probably start looking at you know getting everything over to ARM. Um, so. Yeah, so we're a little bit behind on the metal stuff. Well, since you're, Jim, you guys are relying, you're, you're working through Adobe products for a lot of stuff. Are Do you have to like twiddle thumbs until Adobe does something, says, all right, you can start developing your plugins for ARM now? Or is there, you know, is there work you can do on your own? Or, or how, how much are you dependent on Adobe to get their products? I mean, obviously, if, if Premiere is not running on Apple Silicon, then a plugin for Premiere can't run on Apple Silicon. But... 
do they have to do everything first before you can even start to develop? Do they have to give you a green light or? I don't know. I mean, we can start. I mean, if we want to, we could start doing it now. I mean, of course, we do Final Cut plugins. So, you know, we could start working on the Final Cut version. Um, you know, the way it works for us is we kind of write once and then publish to the different uh, APIs. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of abstracted from, okay. um, you know, from Premiere specifically. Then once we do that, we have to kind of tweak it for each host app. But, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, we could totally start developing now, and um, you know, certainly, you know, Final Cut's already, you know, has a, uh, a silicon version, so you know, we would just start testing on that, and then once Premiere is there, we would do that. Once Resolve there, we'd get to that. Once Avid is there, you know, we'd get to that. So. Um, yeah, yeah, let's hope that's uh, why Final Cut has been a little bit slow in the upgrade over the last couple of years because they've been doing better things with it uh, but i digress mike all right let's take edit ready for example you uh, have told us you have this new mac mini and you can develop for apple silicon what what's mm -hmm. the process like what do you do is it just you sitting down at your laptop and 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 recompiling it or what's how does yeah, it work? i mean you know the so the path forward is basically first we have to support big sur since that's going to be the first OS okay. that runs Apple Silicon. So the, you know, the, the best way to do this is make sure your app is running on Intel on Big Sur and that you're not seeing, you know, spurious bugs that are actually just from the, you know, the, the, the regular tip talk of these updates. Um, make sure it's running in the new Xcode um, for Intel and that, you know, all of those things are, you know, checked off. And then you, you know, you make the single checkbox that they like to tout is all you have to do. And you hit compile and you watch the, you know, the errors pile up in the, in the thing and you start fixing them one after another. <laughs> are, are those errors that come from this new compile to Apple Silicon or are they just general? Well, you know, every time you update, so, you get errors. Well, so yeah, so we have to fix all the errors that we get from the switch to Big Sur and Xcode 12 first. And, you know, that is fairly simple. I, you know, we've pretty much done that at this point, but then, you know, there's very few apps that ship that have, that are, you know, entirely built in-house at this point, you know, so we have, we rely on third-party code for things like our, you know, our auto updates are, um, you know, we use FFmpeg for some stuff we use, um, you know, there are a number of these third-party libraries that we roll in. And so those we either have to, you know, just strip out of the application while we wait for them to update, or if it's something that's, you know, integral to the functionality, we have to either help those open source projects in oh, the transition okay. or wait for them to finish that process. Now, I mean, one of the things that Apple did that really blew me away with this transition is they, in secret, patched a number of these open source projects. So like FFmpeg, um, a system we could use called Halide to target um, GPUs. They, you know, had a slide up on the keynote saying, you know, all of these are already running. Oh. And, you know, a couple of days later, somebody new showed up on those open source projects and said, here's my commit, you know, 
and, you know, the name of it was like engineering resources, Apple something. Oh, and it's nice. just, you know, they basically tasked their employees with updating the, all of these open source projects so that on day one or shortly after they would have working versions, compiling versions. I guess they probably realize if they didn't do that, then things are going to be slower to get updated. Yeah, I mean, definitely increases the, yeah, the momentum for the transition, you know, because most of these were patched before anyone, you know, cause these open source projects, a lot of times if you, you report a bug on hardware, they're like, I don't have that hardware, you know, <laughs> no. go ahead and patch it yourself. And so for something like this, like you're not going to get these projects to even drop 500 bucks for test hardware. Man, Mike makes it sound so easy. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, so it's, you know, it's great. They, these things are patched. So now we, uh, now we start working on our stuff. Well, if, um, if I remember this correctly, back when the Intel transition happened, applications that did not get rewritten for Intel, why, wasn't there something in the OS that would still attempt to run them through like yes. some sort of translation layer? Yeah, that was Rosetta. So okay. that and they and they've announced a new thing, Rosetta Two, which does the exact same thing. But you can yeah. expect degraded performance, I'm sure. Yeah, but not horrendously bad. I mean, is it? Will that only work with smaller applications? Like, uh, let's let's take Avid for example. We all probably suspect that it'll take a little while to get Media Composer running. Uh, you know, on Apple Silicon, would something like Rosetta r be able to run something as big as Media Composer? Is it made more for just little little utilities and things like that? I mean, the original Rosetta works pretty well, actually. Um, yeah, big and small app. So you know, if Rosetta two works the same way, then uh, I would expect it should be fine. I mean, uh, you're going to see some performance degrade degradation. Uh, you know, we'll see how it works with video and graphics and all that. But, uh, but yeah, the original Rosetta, you know, you know, a lot of people ran that for, for quite a while. No, oh, maybe, may, maybe media composers still running under that. Hey, ho, <laughs> no, just kidding. I kid, I kid, Abbott, I kid. Yeah. I would expect it to work out of the, out of the gate. Yeah. Cool. You know, I can say um, all of our apps run fine under Rosetta. Rosetta yeah. too. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason that we're waiting a little bit is that, um, you know, one, I, you know, I think it'll be fine under Rosetta too. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, it, it seems like this is going to be an easier transition than Intel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Apple's obviously been developing on these chips for iOS for you know, a long time. Um, so there's already, there's a lot of resources, you know, like Mike mentioned, you know, they've, you know, helped out some of these open source projects that everybody uses or like a lot of people use. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some signs that it's, it's going to be an easier transition than Intel was. Uh, but you know, it's, it's still a significant amount of work. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, that's all I got. Um, any, any, uh, any other last parting thoughts on the transition? No, I think that covers most of it, yeah. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a, as a Mac, per, you know, I don't know crap about software development other than like I always say, oh, you can software, you can make it do anything. Then sometimes developers yell at me like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. Shut your mouth. Um, 
But it's a Mac buyer who just bought a, you know, I bought a new iMac Pro a couple years ago. I bought a new laptop earlier earlier this year. Um, I would assume if you had just purchased, let's talk about this for a second. If you just purchased a brand new uh, Mac Pro cheese grater, <laughs> do you do you now go like, what WTF? I mean, that was not a cheap purchase. It's full of Intel chips. I mean, they have to, they knew this was going to happen when they were developing the the big Mac Pro. How do we how do we view that? Uh, I I would be bummed <laughs> if I just bought one of those things. Uh, yeah, chains, but you know now with everybody switching over to ARM stuff, you know, like is anybody really going to be prior prioritizing uh, that stuff, or you know how long? I can't um, imagine they're going to sell that many that many more of them. But then again, you know, I mean, I've got, I mean, how, how many years did I get out of my old Thunderbolt? laptop i mean years and years and years and years and years out of that thing so i mean i, I assume I, I i like i think they've said we'll get lots of intel support for years to come so i, I expect these machines to run to run for a while but you know but it, what will be interesting to see is you get a couple of pro uh pro apple silicon machines seeing those performance comparisons between the last generation intels and those silicon apple silicon ones is going to be something really interesting to look at and I, su uh, I suspect you'll be, we'll all be spending some more money. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's going to be the last. The, the people with buyer's remorse last are going to be the ones who bought the new Mac Pro. You know, if you bought one of the, you know, the new Mac Airs, you might regret that sooner. But it's going to be, you know, I, I have to assume maybe they'll come out of the gate with, you know, some new Mac Pro that can beat everything else. But that seems like a larger lift for them for a much smaller win than, you know, new laptops, new iMacs, yeah. new yeah. Mac minis. Well, I mean, I, I think if you're buying one of the new Mac Pros, you, you know, there's still people using like, you know, 2010, 2012, you know, cheese graders, right? Yeah. You know, and I think most of the people that bought the Mac Pro are like, all right, well, this is a 10-year investment and it's not a 10-year investment now. Yeah, yeah. Take it that long. I, mean, I wouldn't it. buy a new MacBook Pro right now, but I might if I needed one. I might buy a new MacBook Pro. Did uh, Did you order a couple of them? No, <laughs> oh, me, neither. me neither. All right, gentlemen. Thanks for the chat. Uh, I let's we'll keep our eyes toward the future and we'll see what uh, Apple comes out with and what they what you guys come out with. Good luck to your to both of you for getting your products ported over. Good luck to all of our, um, especially the small developers that uh, don't have the resources of an Adobe or something like that. So I, I wish you um, Godspeed getting in this new era. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.